And I encourage you to take out your Bible, turn over to James, James chapter, James chapter 3, verse 7. For our scripture reading, and this is uh, quality communication in marriage. And I encourage you that if you're here today and you're not married, these things are very applicable to you as well. And uh, I feel, in a way, unworthy to talk about this message. I, I continue to work on my skills as well. And I think for all of us, if we're honest, we could use some fine-tuning from time to time. But we're going to speak of it in the context of marriage, as we've been going through this series, Marriage is a Portrait of the Gospel. And so, Quality Communication in Marriage, James chapter 3, verse 7. And what I like about James, he cuts right to the chase. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And let's bow for prayer. Father, we commit this time into your hands. Help us to all look at our own hearts, to be honest today, in this area of communication. It's a, another way that we can um, show the gospel and the light in us by being good listeners, good conversationalists in our speech, and especially building our relationship with our spouse. This is so needy and important today. And help us to learn what we need to learn today. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I believe on the bottom of your outline, on the back page, is this quote, and I wanted to leave it with you. It says, in an era of increasingly fragile marriages, a couple's ability to communicate is the single most important contributor to a stable and satisfying marriage, according to a Gallup poll report. And I firmly believe in that. So let's get right to the heart of our message today. We all know communication is important. Most of us need to work on improving the ways we communicate with our spouses. Number one on your outline, work at understanding the differences between men and women. We have to work and remind ourselves from time to time the differences between men and women. And so we're going to have a little humor this morning. And I think sometimes humor with a point is good. And so we're going to listen for five minutes to Mark Gunger on uh, Laughing Your Way to a Better Marriage. We have this series in our library. But here he is as he talks about a clip called The Tale of Two Brains. Listen and laugh. We're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains. All right. Now, men's brains are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. We've got, we got, we, we got boxes everywhere. And the rule is the boxes don't touch.
When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And, and, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. different from man's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire. And everything is connected to everything. The money's connected to the car, and the car's connected to your job, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. And it's like... It's like the internet superhighway, okay? <laughs> and, and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's, just, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because, quite frankly, we don't care. <laughs> right. Women tend to care about everything. And she just loves it. <laughs> okay. Now, men, we have a box in our brain that most women are not aware of. This particular box has nothing in it. In fact, we call it the nothing box. And of all the boxes a man has in his brain, the nothing box is our favorite box. If a man has a chance, he'll go to his nothing box every time. That's why a man can do something seemingly completely brain dead for hours on end. You know, like fishing. measured this. The University of Pennsylvania a couple of years ago did a study and discovered that men have the ability to think about absolutely nothing and still breathe. <laughs> you know, they connected all the wires and stuff like that and watched the brain activity and then all of a sudden, he <laughs> I think he's dead! Huh? You know, <laughs> women can't do it. They can't do it. Their minds never stop. 
and, and they don't understand the nothing box. And it drives them crazy. Because nothing drives a woman more crazy or makes her feel more irritated than to witness a man doing nothing. All right, you can see if you're in that video or not, you know? So I encourage you to think about that. We want to emphasize, uh, point out uh, the differences. And so as you have your outline there, men are more outward looking according to focus on the family. And I want to be careful not to stereotype too much, but there are some, some differences that have been associated with uh, men and women. And so men are more outward looking, uh, want to explore, they want to deliver the goods, confident that they have what it takes to get things done. Men want to take chances, they're opportunistic need to know what is coming next, and then active and aggressive. Women are more inward-looking, inward-looking, value intimacy above action. Women seek security. They love to nurture. And they use lots of words. According to the British Broadcasting Company and Scientific American website, I looked at several websites, and they concluded that women use 20,000 words a day on average and men about 7,000. So we see a big disparity there. And at the deepest levels of her core, a woman wants to be led and cared for, cared for. So both genders are equal but different in God's eyes. Equal but different. It tells us in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it talks about the distinction of the husband being the head of the family. But I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we see responsibility. And just like there has to be a, a coach and a quarterback on a team, someone has to be the leader. And God has ordained men in the family to be that leader. And we talked about that last week with servant leadership. Well, the application here is celebrate the difference in gender as a way to enrich your relationship. One of the biggest problems in communication is that people don't remember the differences and then they accentuate those differences in a negative way and it causes conflict. But celebrate the differences, embrace them, and this will enrich your relationship. That first point is so important. We need to constantly remind ourselves what we are as a man and a woman in our marriage, and we often go by default in treating our spouse like we think, who we are, instead of thinking about the differences, and that's just plain wrong. So second, to become a good communicator after considering your audience, we need to speak in a way that can be understood. So we're going to talk about speak, speak to be understood, first of all, and then we'll talk about what it means to be a good listener. Speak to be understood. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then he goes on, verse 28 of that same chapter, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Matthew 5, 37 we're admonished, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. 
In other words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you say it, mean it and back it with your commitment. So share your personal thoughts and your feelings. Share your personal thoughts and feelings as a spouse, talking to your other spouse, talking to them. And we're talking here about your conversations with them. Don't play mind games. Don't beat around the bush. Speak the truth in love, as it says in Ephesians 4. Speak from your heart. Here's an important one. Use I statements. This is good in any communication. Use I statements and share from your perspective. Don't speak to the listener's view or motives. This is especially hard to do when a conversation begins to escalate into a tense and angry conversation. Stay away from personal attacks when the discussion becomes a disagreement. Remember, your spouse has a right to his or her own opinion, even if you may think it's outrageous or crazy. You must show respect and treat people with dignity. And remember this, there are no stupid people who are made in God's image, but people behave and do stupid things. Make sure you understand that distinction. I hear so many people denigrate they're a friend or a spouse or a child or whoever it is out in public by calling them names. They may do stupid things and bad behavior, but don't call them personally stupid. They're made in God's image. Determine what you want to say. What are my assumptions? What are my values and beliefs in this discussion we're having? What are my desires? What are my dreams? What are my needs? What should I not say? That's an important thing. Sometimes things left unsaid are better. Second of all, determine how you will say something. Not what, but how. Will you say it with excitement, with sadness, with conviction, with a note of disappointment, or a note of encouragement? Determine when you should say it so your communication will be most effective and well-received. Timing is so important during or after a meal. Maybe that's when you and your spouse would have a good time to communicate. During a time you're doing something together, maybe going for a walk or whatever it may be while driving. Determine when not to discuss things that could bring tension and disagreement. One of the worst times to have a disagreement is in front of, in front of your children. Or, one, or ask questions or have a conversation while one spouse is connected to a screen or is distracted in some way. I know for my wife, she, she always says she doesn't want to have any weighty conversations just before we go to bed because that may make it difficult to sleep at night. These are things you need to discuss and decide when is the timing right to have these discussions. And Proverbs 17, 27 says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. That's an important verse, one to hold on to. And also to share in smaller segments rather than a long monologue. Smaller segments rather than just monopolizing, monopolizing all the time. In conversation, it's better to give short thoughts and pause to give the listener time to reflect, to respond. If you truly want your spouse to hear what you're saying, then pause and let them paraphrase. Put it in their own words, what they think they just heard, and let them respond back. Long monologues may be more about wanting to be heard, but not seeking a true response. 
Some people like to hear their own voice and beware of that. That's self-centered communication. Remember, you, should have plenty, you will have plenty more time and opportunity to speak on the particular matter you are talking about as you have these short segments back and forth with the person who is listening. And that's important to share the floor by giving time for the other person to respond. In a minute, I'm going to share a resource called A Lasting Promise. And in there, one of their learning techniques is in this matter of uh, speaking and listening is they have a, some kind of a ball. And the person who is talking holds the ball. And when they are finished, they pass the ball on to the listener and it's time for them to respond. What does that do? It avoids causing interruptions and, and then causing disruption of possible thought processes. So that's just a simple thing to think about in having good communication. But allow your spouse, after you have your short time of talking, to paraphrase what you said in their own words so you can see if they understood what you said. If the paraphrase wasn't quite accurate, you should politely restate what was not heard in the way it was intended to be heard. Your goal is to help the listener, your spouse in this case, hear and understand your point. Now that doesn't mean that as they listen that they necessarily agree with your point of view, so don't get upset if after they paraphrase what you said, they don't necessarily agree with you. The art of discussion and negotiation and compromise must be in play here. Sometimes things need to be talked out. Maybe sometimes just get a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle and put the pros and the cons Pros on the left, cons on the right, as you try to come to a conclusion or a decision and bring these things to an end of discussion. And here's a very important thing. Someone in our church shared this with our ministry team, and we shared it with them uh, as well. Patrick Lencioni, who's a business consultant, talks about the last 10% to make sure that you don't hold anything back, that you're sharing your true feelings not trying to just give 90% of it and conjecture, they'll figure out the rest. Don't forget as well that body language and tone of voice can change the way the listener interpret what, interprets what's being said. It's so vital to our communication. And I think on the screen, you'll see this next slide has a picture of a book. There it is, A Lasting Promise. I recommend that book, A Christian Guide to Fighting for Your Marriage. It's good, it has a lot of Good information in there about problem solving, communication in the marriage, and that's where I got this uh, one idea, uh, sharing about the ball and sharing uh, the time to converse. So the application is we all need to be clear and truthful with what we say and how we say it. We need to be clear. We don't assume people can read our minds. We need to be open and honest and transparent. So let's switch roles now and speak about being a good listener. Listen to understand. Listen to understand. In James 1.19, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we've talked about this many times, that God probably has a, a sense of humor because he gives us two ears and one mouth, right? He wants us to be good listeners, I know biologically we need those ears in those places to pick up all those things, but it's interesting. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In Proverbs 1.5, it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. That's important. And one of the things we can do 
and give people the gift of, they think is so powerful in our post-pandemic time, is to just have a conversation, but be a good listener. If you just want to be a blessing to somebody, go over to a retirement village and visit with someone who doesn't get visitors on a regular basis. And you would be blessed if they would just share with you about their life and you just be a good listener. You'd be amazed how many people would appreciate that act of love. So focus, focus on what the speaker is saying. In this case, it's your spouse. Another way of saying this is listen to learn. For many, the tendency in a conversation is to be thinking in your mind how you're going to respond to the person who is speaking. The listener needs to take in what is being said and be ready to explain back or respond to what is said by carefully thinking about it. And here's a very important point. Act on what is said. Don't react. Take some time to think and don't just react. That's a natural tendency that we all have as human beings. And then not only focus, but repeat. As I said earlier, repeat what you heard in your own words. That's called paraphrasing. It's taking what the person said and this saying, this is what I think you meant or this is what I think you said. And it helps the speaker in two ways. One, it lets them know that they were heard. And two, the point that the speaker was trying to get across has accomplished the goal. That person, the speaker, will hear what you said and they'll think, okay, they understand what I'm talking about, what I'm conversing to them. So ask clarifying questions to better understand what the person said. For, clarify, for clarification purposes, as we said in the last point, ask, is that what you meant when you said this? When you said this, did you mean this? What did you mean by saying and fill in the blank? The thing is to avoid rebutting the speaker and their words at this point. Remember, your task is to understand. And during some of the conversations with your spouse, with your spouse who should not offer your thoughts or opinions, this is the hardest thing not to do. We want to offer our ideas and our thoughts and jump right into that. And when we're listening, we need to make sure that, there's, that we're not making uh, gestures or faces of some kind either that would you know, get them distracted or take them away from what they're saying. Your job at first in the conversation is to listen and understand what is being said. Here's a very important point, men. You need to ask your wives if what they're going to share is for you to merely listen and be a sounding board or if they want you to help solve the problem. That's an important distinction to make. This avoids a lot of arguments and false understanding as to why the wife is sharing what she is sharing. And remember, if a person gets angry for unrighteous reasons and the conversation escalates to a disagreement, then an argument, then an all-out verbal fight, your job as a listener and speaker is to de-escalate the anger and the conflict in order to handle it in a Christ-like way. Sometimes if it gets heated, you need to both just back off and give it some space. There's a story about down in South America, Chile and Argentina on the border in the Andes Mountains. They erected a statue of Christ. And the idea was that as long as that statue was there on the border, there would be peace between these two countries. Well, pretty soon the Chilean people got a little bit upset because Christ was facing Argentina and had his back to Chile. And finally, a newspaper reporter came up with a great 
editorial spin on the whole thing. And he said, well, the Argentinians need Christ to look on them a little more than the Chilean people. (laughs) So as we think about that, Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We're going to get angry. There's things such as righteous anger. Then there's things that are not righteous, unrighteous anger. And we have to, as it says here, deal with it in a very quick manner so that it won't give the devil an opportunity to bring bitterness, negativity, separation in the relationship. So the application, continue to work on and improve on the art of listening with your spouse. It's something we have to work at, something we have to consciously decide. And our last point of practice well can be a tool to teach our children, point others to ways to reconcile when conflicts occur. So learn how to resolve conflicts. Learn how to resolve conflicts. That's so important. Our world around us in many ways, their answer is to fight or do other things, to be physically aggressive. But if we as Christians, especially as a husband and wife in a Christian relationship can show our kids and our extended family and those around us how to resolve conflicts. It goes right along with what Christ wants us to do and think about during this Lent season. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So four things we need to do as we think about resolving conflict. Number one, admit that there's a disagreement in a respectful way. Admit that there's a disagreement in a respectful way. The first thing to do to have a healthy conflict and to fight fair, if it turns into a verbal fight, is to have both spouses admit that there is a problem here. You see, you cannot solve a problem until you admit that there is one. Sometimes one spouse will identify the problem and the other spouse may say that isn't an issue. When there's strong disagreement between the spouses there's no, and there's no compromise initially in the part of either spouse, you have a problem. This is where conflict and problem solving need to come in before things can get better. <clears throat> there's talking about in a small town Two men that had a huge disagreement. They were good friends, but then they separated their part of their ways because they had a big business disagreement. So they found the wisest man in their city. They called him the town sage. And one man who was really upset called the town sage and said, shared his story. And the sage to him, he said, you are absolutely right. Well, the another night, the next night came along and the second guy came And he talked to the sage, and he told him his side of the story, and the sage said, you're absolutely right. Well, the wife of the sage heard this, and she scolded her husband and said, you can't tell these men that they're both right because, you know, one is right, one's wrong. And the sage turned to her and said, you are absolutely right. That is not the way to deal with a conflict. So admit that there's a problem. Second of all, ask one another, What needs to happen next to resolve the conflict? 
ask one another, what needs to happen next to resolve the conflict? This is where you need to discuss early in your marriage or at some point how you want to handle conflict. One spouse may want to talk about it immediately. And as things escalate, they want to solve the problem right now, right here and now. And the other spouse may say, you know what? I need to get away. I need to get by myself. I need to take some time. I need to calm down. I need to think about this thing. And that can be very frustrating to the one who wants to solve it here and now. This is common in a marriage relationship. And the spouse who wants to solve the conflict then there must be patient, must honor the other spouse's request to take some time, give them space. The person requesting space must give you know, some boundaries, a deadline, so this doesn't last for a long time. <clears throat> but this allows the emotions to dissipate and for cooler heads to prevail, no decision or conflict should be made out of anger. And Paul, writing to the young man Timothy, he said this, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. So we have to admit there's a problem. We have to talk about, ask what needs to happen next to resolve the conflict. Then you need to accept the responsibility for your part in the conflict. After calming down and reconsidering what was said in the conflict and evaluating the issue, it's wise for both spouses to own up to their part of the conflict. Questions each spouse should ask themselves while they're separated alone by themselves. Why did I get so emotional angry? What was it that set me off to anger? What did I say that I should not have said? What part of the conflict do I need to own on my part? Then you come back together as spouses and take turns accepting responsibility and verbalizing what part of the conflict you brought to the table and contributed to the conflict. And lastly, to bring this whole thing to reconciliation and resolution, ask for forgiveness for your part in the conflict without conditions. Without conditions. The hardest words to say for some spouses many times are these, I was wrong about this, will you forgive me? We have to swallow our pride, we have to accept our part of the conflict, our responsibility, and we have to admit. And that doesn't mean you add a but on the end and talk about the other person's Uh, issues that you are struggling with. I was wrong, will you forgive me? This process is the beginning of granting and receiving forgiveness and resolving the conflict. We've read the story many times in Matthew 18 about the boss who forgave the man who owed him more than all the money he could earn for the rest of his life. He had a debt that was unpayable and the boss forgave him. And then of course that man who had the mercy shown went and found somebody owed him some money, a much smaller debt, and of course wanted to cast that person in prison if they didn't pay him. And of course, the first boss, seeing that, hearing about that, did something about it in Matthew 18. He said, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. If God can forgive you of all your sins, if he cast them into the deepest sea or as far as east is from the west, never to be brought up again, we need to not keep records of wrongs as well. Just a few reminders about forgiveness as we close. Forgiveness is not a feeling or an emotion. It's a command. Feelings will follow over time if you grant or receive forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't remove the consequences to an action unless the person forgiving shows mercy on the person and doesn't ask for the consequences to be compensated or taken care of. You must learn to forgive yourself as well as the person you offended after granting them forgiveness or after you have received forgiveness from an offending spouse. Don't keep beating yourself up. God forgives you, and if that person forgave you, put it in the Lord's hands and move on. And you may have to go to the Lord in prayer over and over again for a while, asking the Lord to help you forgive your spouse who hurt you. Pray for that spouse, and don't keep records of wrongs to bring up at a more strategic time. God chooses to forget our sins after we come to him confessing our sin and repenting of our sin. We should not hold things against our spouse if they confessed, taken responsibility for their actions, and asked for forgiveness. We need to keep this verse in the back of our minds and our hearts, the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There is a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. In the cross, Jesus provided for the forgiveness of everyone, but not everyone will be reconciled with him because they don't want to be reconciled with Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer forgave his Nazi guards, but he was never reconciled with them. And the same is true for you. You can forgive anyone who hurts you, even if they don't seek your reconciliation. John MacArthur said this, the time for reconciliation just as the time for salvation is always now. Tomorrow is often too late. We're not to allow bitterness, anger, hatred, or any other sin to keep us separated from other people, whoever they are, end of quote. So here's the application. Always have in your heart the attitude of reconciliation. That in Christ, things can be resolved. That Forgiveness can be granted and received. We need to have that attitude because the world goes very contrary to that teaching, to conflict and chaos and bitterness and holding on to grudges. The key thought as we close today is this, is as marriages that reflect Christ, we need to be, more, we need to be good at communicating and reconciling our conflicts before a watching world. We need to be good at it. <clears throat> Communication, reconciling. This will show the portrait of the gospel in one aspect of our relationship with our spouses, to our children, to our extended family, to neighbors who observe us, to people at church. It's another way that the gospel is displayed in this sacred relationship called marriage. As I close, I encourage you to look at those questions this week and think about your relationship with your spouse how could you become more aware and sensitive to your spouse's gender differences, as we saw in that video with Mark Gunger? How can you become a clear communicator with your spouse? What are some things you could do this week to improve your listening skills? In an era of increasingly fragile marriages, 
A couple's ability to communicate is the single most important contributor to a stable and satisfying marriage. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today and maybe you say, Pastor, I really need to hear that. Whether it's with my spouse or somebody in my uh, home association in the condominium I'm in or at work, whatever it is, Lord, I pray you, I just encourage you as you sit there to let the Lord challenge you, to help you, to encourage you, to pick up on some of these tips, to apply to your life this week and make a commitment to be a better speaker, communicator, a better listener, a listener who truly wants to give undivided attention and to learn what the person speaking to them wants to share, to be good resolvers of conflict. Lord, we just pray today that you will just be with our marriages. Help us continue as we've talked about this very important subject of marriage being the portrait of the gospel, to continue to put boundaries around us, to learn the things that divide us, that separate us in our relationship, and know that we have to work toward in the spirit to uh, continue to communicate well, to listen well, to be able to uh, agree to disagree and be able to come to resolution on difficult things so we can reflect your glory in all that we do. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.